0: If you would have told me back in 1974 I'd go to a church that sang songs like that, I'd say you're crazy, man. <laughs> oh, I love it, man. There is no such thing as impossible. Well, I've been living with this song for the last couple of weeks and and uh, ready and ready for it to be uh, done and sang. And finally, we did it today. And. Uh, I, through the times, through the last couple of weeks, I kept going back to a, a story in the Old Testament that, uh, that proves to me there's no such thing as impossible. And that's what we're going to look at today. Let me ask you personally, have you ever faced an impossible situation? Raise your hand if you have ever faced an impossible situation. If your hand is not raised, you're either sleeping, <laughs> you're finding that lost hour of sleep, or you're not paying any attention because, I mean, we've all faced impossible situations in life, haven't we? I, I mean, one of those times when your back is against the wall and you're in a tight spot. It, it might be something that is personal. It could be with your finances. It could be with your health. It could be in a relationship that you're in. It, it's in those times you wonder, you know what, am I going to make it through this time? I, have you ever wondered that? Or when you really look around you and think, am I going to be able to get out of this one? Those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. Real life, real people, real problems. Hey, I hope you've discovered already that the church is not made up of perfect people. Because none of us in this room today are perfect. All around you are people just like you who face the real life problems that you face. It's no different for any of us. Balcony people compared to floor people. You know? The laity compared to the staff. We all have real life problems. So, when life gets tough, we have some choices that we have to make. And in counseling and talking with people, I, I see that, that people usually choose one of three things to do. When I face an impossible situation in life, I can choose to escape. Huh? It's a really popular choice. I was raised in the day with the little com- commercial, Calgon, take me away. Those of you younger people, you don't get that one, but you know what? it really is a popular choice for many people even today. When things get tough, I'm just out of here, man. When the going gets tough, I'm leaving. Sometimes we don't physically escape. But I'm telling you, we sure do it mentally. We say, why can't I go back to the way it used to be, the way it was? Well, if you would just stop and think about it, it really wasn't great back then either, you know? Yeah. We say, please, honey, let's just take our marriage back to the way it used to be. When we first fell in love. I really don't know if you know what you're asking for when you do that, huh? Yeah? But we think it was better back then. Or we say stuff like that. This could, could our kids just be little again? Like there were no troubles when they were little. Man, you, you stayed up all night with them back then. Huh? Could life just get simpler again? We want to go back to Mayberry, RFD. <laughs> but I tell you, no such place exists. And it doesn't ever happen that way. You know why? Because life is always going forward. You can't go back. And escape never works because you always come back to the same place you were at the beginning. If you get up and escape, the problem hasn't gone anywhere. And when you come back into the room, there it is waiting for you. Other people try denial. Oh, it's not a problem. There's, there's, There's no problem. I don't have a problem, it's not a big deal. Well, the problem with denial is that you always get stuck just right where you are. If you're pretending there is no problem, obviously nobody's going to be able to help you get out of your problem. So you're always going to have the problem. We're going to talk about that this morning. You you can choose not to escape. You can choose not to deny. And you can choose, you know what, I'm going to plow through this thing. You can choose to endure. No matter how long it takes for the problem to get fixed, I'm going to work my way through this impossible situation. You just go all the way through the problem. Not away from it at the beginning or stuck in it in the middle, but you just plow your way through it. Wake up, people. That's That's what we're going to do today. And I can't think of anyone better to learn from than a guy named Moses, all right? Who, when life started really to squeeze in on him, he found the strength to plow through and to make it to the other side. You will find his story in the book of the Bible called Exodus. That's where we're going, Exodus chapter 14. And it's interesting that the name Exodus means a way out. Is it? A way out, God's way out. God's way through the problem is the story of Moses. So, here's the deal. When you have this impossible situation, and when you face your impossible situation, you may not have a plan, but number one, understand God has a plan. You may not understand what's going on, but God understands what's going on. However tough it gets, However squeezed in you feel, understand this, church, God has a plan. We know what Moses faced at the Red Sea. But did you know how he got into that situation? We all know about Moses being there with the Red Sea in front of him, Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian army behind him. But do you know what got him into that situation? Well, let's read about it. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Belzaphon. You shall camp before it by the sea. Right there it is. And in the midst of all these strange-sounding towns and places, let's go back to the very beginning of the verse. What got them into this circumstance? Who is it that is saying this to Moses? What's God saying it to Moses? God told them to go exactly where he wanted them. And understand, God had some pretty specific instructions, didn't he? He told them exactly where he wanted them to be. Take 540, exit 12, turn south, go one block, turn to the right, go to the end of the street, turn into the parking lot. He put them in the exact situation he wanted them in. Why? Because God had a plan. (laughs) He knew that if he took the Israelites on the easiest route up to the promised land, that they would get into a fight with the Egyptians that they were not ready for. He knew that this Egyptian army was going to continue to pursue them until he did something about it. So God put them in a specific place where three things would happen. He put them in a place where, number one, he alone would get the glory for what was about to happen. Number two, he could teach this rowdy group of people a valuable lesson that they would continually glean from for the next 40 years, And number three, he put them in a place where this army would once and for all be totally defeated and completely annihilated. I'm here to tell you, God had a plan. But God's always got a plan. You and I often don't understand his plan. We haven't seen all of his plan, but God's got a plan. You can do whatever you want to with God's plan. You can, if you want to, ignore God's plan. That's why we're free will Baptists. We believe in the free will of man. You you can, if you want to, ignore the plan of God. You can pretend that God isn't there and even not think about God for years. But I'm here to tell you, God still has a plan for your life. You can run in the exact opposite direction of God's plan for your life, just like Jonah. But I'm here to tell you, God still has a plan for your life. And God's plan for our life works even in the impossible situations we find ourselves in. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is one of those great life verses. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. You see, the promise for believers is that God uses everything in our lives to work out the goodness of His perfect plan. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. It doesn't mean that everything people do to us is good because you know that it's not. And it doesn't mean that everything I do to myself is good because sometimes I make sinful choices. But God, in his greatness, can even use all of those bad things and work them into his plan. It doesn't make those things good, But it does make God good that He's able to do something like that. And I'm here to tell you, He is a good God. He's a great God, and He has a great plan. And if I'm going to get through the impossible situations in my life, the first thing I have to do is remember that no matter what's happening around me or in me, God has a plan. And no matter what I've done to myself, or even how long I've ignored God, He still has a plan. And His plan is good. The result of that is this. Look at me real close because this is important. If God has a plan that is good, acceptable, and perfect, okay, then I need to trust His plan. And I need to trust Him. I can tell you this. God's plan is better than any plan you could come up with. So you need to trust God's plan. Number two, when I'm facing all of these impossible situations, first of all, I I just understand God's got a plan. Number two, I realize that God is going to make me face my greatest fear. I don't know why he does this, but he always does it. Now, that's not the way I want to get through my impossible situations. I don't know about you, but I want the easiest way to get through tough times. Anybody out there with me? I'll say, God, give me a map that shows me the easiest route out of this mess I'm in. Please. And so God gives me this map, but the the most cotton-picking thing about this map God gives me, it always takes me to that one place that I didn't want to go. Always. Always. I mean, always. It, it's, like, it's like us today saying, you know, God, I really want my marriage to be better. I, my marriage is kind of, it's kind of bad right now. It's barren. Things aren't going good. Me and my spouse are having all these conflicts. God, would you just give me a road map to a better marriage? God says, yep, sure will. He writes out the map and gives it to you. The first stop on God's map to a better marriage is to the place where I admit that I was wrong. And you look at that map, and that's the first stop. Admit you were wrong. And you say, God, come on. I didn't want this route. I didn't want to go to this place. And God says, oh, but you said you wanted a better marriage, so this is the first stop. I'm going to take you to that one place you didn't want to go. But you need to do that because, you know what, you are the problem. Or you pray to God, Lord, I want help in dealing with this secret habit that's destroying my life. Nobody knows about this thing that I'm dealing with, and I don't want anybody to know about it. But God, I need your help. I need victory over this habit. Please, God, draw me a map that leads to victory over the habit that's destroying my life. So God draws out the map, and he sends it down to you, and there that map is. And you know where the first stop is on God's map? to healing over any habit that's destroying your life. It's it's right here. Tell somebody else what you're going through. Lord, no. I don't want to go that route. I don't want anybody to know what I'm going through. And God says that's the only victory over it. That's the way you got to go. You see, when Moses got God's map, it took him to the one single place Moses did not want to go. But you know what? It really makes sense. God's way makes sense. Because the one thing that you're not willing to face is most likely the one thing that keeps you stuck right where you are. Oh, that's that's good, people. Come on. Isn't it? The one place you don't want to go is the one thing keeping you stuck right where you are. That's why you're stuck. Because you're not willing to face that one thing thing. What was Moses' problem there? Well, Moses was afraid of a man, this this guy named Pharaoh. You you might remember the earlier story of Moses. Forty years before this happened, Moses had seen an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew slave, and so he thought he was going to do the Hebrews a favor. He went out, and he killed the Egyptian and buried the body in the sand. Well, word spread like wildfire. And Moses knew that Pharaoh was going to find out about that. So Moses became afraid of Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in the world at that time. And so Moses packed up his little bag, and he ran as far away as he could. He went into the desert. The Bible says he went to the backside of the desert. And he lived there for 40 long years. 40 years afraid of facing Pharaoh. And then God comes to Moses in a burning bush and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to set my people free. And guess who the first person is that Moses has to confront when he goes back to Egypt? It was Pharaoh. And so he faces him, and you know what happens? All the plagues come. And then God releases the people and they take off towards the promised land and they're on their way. But guess who? Guess who starts chasing Moses? <laughs> it's that cotton picking Pharaoh. Yeah. Can you imagine how Moses must have felt? God, I knew I couldn't get rid of this guy. I've been afraid of him for 40 years. I know what kind of man he is. I knew this wasn't going to work. I just knew it wasn't going to work. Why in the world are you making me do this? Look what happened. Look what happened to Moses' greatest fear. Exodus 14, verse 9. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops. Literally everything Pharaoh could throw at Moses. Pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. Now, get get the story here. Moses had gone back to Egypt and faced Pharaoh. And now Moses was going to have to stand at the Red Sea and face the fury of Pharaoh. Do you realize the courage that it took for Moses to do that? The one thing he had spent 40 years avoiding, he was now having to do. Guys, let me tell you, you don't see real courage like that in the movies. You don't see real courage like that in the achievements of a sports star. You see real courage like that in the person who doesn't do this one thing, but yet God tells them, that's the one thing you need to do. And so they do it by faith. You see it in the one person who who picks up that phone and, and calls to reconcile that relationship. They don't want to do that. It goes against everything that is inside of them. But God is telling them, hey, you need to do that. It's the right thing to do. And so they pick up the phone and they dial the number. And with hesitant words, they begin to put that relationship back together. Do you realize the courage that it takes to do that? real faith is and real courage or what about this the courage of a parent who's sitting at the doctor's office hearing about the illness of one of their kids the one thing they never wanted to face as a parent they are coming head to head with but they're facing it with faith that's incredible courage so moses stood before pharaoh and he had the courage to face the one thing that he did not want to face Where did he find that courage? Where can you find that kind of courage in your life? Well, the Bible tells us where Moses found it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And he persevered. He plowed his way through it. How did he do that? Because he saw him who is invisible. That's that's powerful. That's, That's how he did it. Where did Moses find the courage to face Pharaoh? By redirecting his focus from Pharaoh to somebody who's greater than Pharaoh, to God. Where did Moses find the courage? He redirected his focus from what Pharaoh might do to him to what God could do through him. Where are you going to find the courage to face your impossible situation? Well, let me just be real blunt with you, real frank. You need to take your eye off the problem. Because quite frankly, you've been looking at that problem too long. You need to take your eye off the problem and put your eyes on the only one who is greater than your problems. And that's God. God's love for you, God's grace for you, God's strength for you, God's peace to you is greater than any problem you are facing right now in your life. We need to know there is no such thing as impossible with God. Hey! (laughs) Man. So, in your impossible situation, know that God's got a plan. And know that the first place God is going to take you is that one place you don't want to go. But, friend, you need to go there. You've got to go there. In order to plow through this, you've got to face that one thing you haven't wanted to face. And then the third and final step is this. You just take the next step. You just do the next thing God tells you to do, and you do it in faith. There's a very interesting exchange right here on the shores of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is right behind these people. The Red Sea is right in front of these people. Mountains are on both sides, and they have a conversation. First, the people have something to say, and then Moses, the leader, says something. And then, number three, God says something. Let's look at it. When the people see Pharaoh's army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, they get scared, real scared. They have something to say. Here it is, Exodus 14, 11. And I'll tell you, I've read this in numerous translations at various times. And I don't know, it may just be me, but it sounds a little whiny. What they're, what they're saying sounds a little whiny. Reminds me of a bunch of church people I know. Anyway, that's beside the point. Here's what they say. They say it to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt? That you brought us here to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you while we were still in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? <laughs> yeah, this is incredible. You know what they're, you know they're doing? They're saying, we want to go back. We want to go back to the way, we want to go back when we were slaves. Just take us back to Egypt and let us continue to serve the Egyptians. They thought that's where their hope was. Not forward to the promised land, but back to Egypt where they would live in slavery. Not through to the other side, they just wanted to go back. Why? Because they were afraid. And then they started playing the same game we always start playing the blame game and they blamed their leader Moses but really they were blaming God then Moses stood up the preacher and I gotta love this man I mean when, when I read this story I can't help it but I'm thinking back I'm thinking back when I was a kid and I would see the rerun of the Ten Commandments Charlton Heston remember that those of you my age or older, it actually came out in like 1950 something. But boy, I mean, I just, I just think I don't. I think Moses looked like that. I don't know. And so he stepped up there and he addressed the crowd. And man, I'm just, I'm, I'm grooving on what he's saying, man. I'm loving what he's saying. He said to the people, "Don't be afraid. Listen, listen people. People, listen to me. Don't be afraid. Just." Stand still and see the salvation of God. How's that? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know that's, that's really not a good Heston imitation. But that's just the way I see it, man. Just you see, you hear what he's saying. Just people, people, quit your whining and your griping. You're so afraid. You're so wimpy. Just. Just stand there and watch what God's about to do. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? I think God's got something to say. And as spiritual and as good as Moses sounded, God has something to say that is entirely different than what Moses said. The Lord said to Moses, get this, the Lord is saying this to Moses, not the people, but Moses. Why are you crying out to me? Why are you whining to me, Moses? You tell those people to step forward. You tell those people to go forward. What direction? Forward. Don't tell them to stand there and watch. You tell them to get moving towards the Red Sea. Now, guys, let me tell you, this this just crumbles me. It, 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 it humbles me because it sounds so spiritual for us to say, let's just stand here and watch and let's see what God does. Now, that sounds like a, a statement of faith, but you know what? That's a cop-out. Let's just wait here and let's, let's, let's see if God shows up. Let's just stand here and wait. Let's see if God comes through. Let's see if God decides to do anything. Let's just stand here and watch. And God comes along and says, no, I want you to get moving. You take that next step. But that's the hardest step you'll ever take. You know why? It's a step of faith. You take a step of faith. See, this is a story about faith, real faith. It's a story about people who, instead of getting stuck on what they couldn't do, or depending on what they could alone do, they took the next step in the direction of only what God could do. And that's what faith is. I don't, know, I don't know if you have this problem, but my biggest mistake is when I face an impossible situation or a tough time, I start asking myself the question, what can I do to fix this mess? What can I do to resolve this problem? because i'm thinking you know what it's my pro- i need to fix this problem and i'm sure a lot of the israelites there had to be at least two or three engineers in that group how long would it take us to build a bridge <laughs> or how many boats could we construct overnight you know what can i do but the first question we need to ask is this what can god do and not just what can god do what does god want to do I think we've learned the lesson that Moses and the people learned that day. You just do the one thing. It's pretty simple, but you just do the one thing. Really, you can't do any more than that. You just do the one thing that God is telling you to do next, because that's all you can do. You take that next step. Can I go back to point number one? God's got a plan, but he's not going to show you the whole plan. He wants you to live by faith. He wants you to trust him day by day by day by day. And so he's going to tell you, okay, step one, here it is. And you're not going to get to step two until you take step one. Okay? And if you fail the first exam, he's going to give you another exam. You just take that one step. Now, you know the story. You remember all the pictures. They head towards the Red Sea. And what did God do? This this picture is so ingrained in our mind. You, you start thinking about it, and, man, you do. You see Charles, Charleston Heston, and he's standing there. And his, his, He's on the rock, and his arms are stretched out, and he's got his staff. And the water's part. It's amazing, isn't it? Some of you kids need to go rent that movie or, you know. Netflix it and, and see the incredible picture there. But, but this is also an incredible story about what God does when we take that next step. And, and so let me read, read it to you. Exodus 14, verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all night long. And made the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. Isn't that amazing what God did? Isn't that cool? I can remember being at Southwestern Seminary working on my, my MDiv degree. And, and I was in an Old Testament class with one of the smartest Old Testament professors in the world. And he said, guys... There have been people through all generations who have tried to explain this with the, the variations of, of wind in that part of the country and of things that could happen up the Red Sea that would have caused this to happen. But he says, you've got to understand, this is just a miracle. Yeah. This is This what this is. It's a miracle of God. God performed an absolute miracle. They took the next step, and God took over from there. There's one thing that I want you to remember from this morning's message and our look at the life of Moses. And it's this the Red Sea did not split until they took that next step of faith. And after they took the step of faith, it's when God split the sea. You look at your life right now and you say, you know what, I do, I do want. I want my family to be better. I want my marriage to be better. What do I do? Do I I just sit back and wait for God to intervene and for God to do something? Or, Or do I put all of my energy into it and what I can do to make it better? How do I do it? How do I have faith so that my marriage can get better? Well, real simple answer to that is this. You take the next step that God tells you to take. You take the step of faith that God wants you to take. You say, well, preacher, I don't know what that is. Well, have you asked God? I mean, let me tell you, if you are his child and he loves you like the Bible says he loves you and he has a plan for your life like we know he does, he's going to show you what to do. So have you asked him? Have you read in the Bible on how you make a marriage work? I mean, it's, it's no real secret. God tells us the establishment of a home, who's in charge, what our roles are, what we are to do. So you ask him, you pray, you read. And then you don't do what you want to do. That's usually what we do. You do what he wants you to do. The Red Sea didn't split until they started moving towards the Red Sea. But here's what we want. We want money in the bank. We want the guarantee. We want the waters to start to divide while we're in our easy chair. We say, we'll try it this way first. (laughs) But faith is all about me taking the next step before the sea splits before I know my marriage is going to be better, before I know that relationship is going to be restored, before I know that habit can be broken, I have to take that next step and do whatever it is God is telling me to do. For some of you, it might be, you know what, preacher, I'm, I'm always out of money. I never have enough money. I'm, I get paid well, but there's just not enough money to go around. What, what do I do? Well, I'm, it's real simple. You just do what God tells you to do. What is God telling you to do? And I'll tell you what he tells you to do. You tithe. Ten percent. You say, I can't do that. I don't have ten percent. Well, you, you told me you don't have any money anyway. Why don't you try God's way? Because God says this doesn't work in, in math numbers. It doesn't work with human computation. But you give me the first ten percent, I'm going to take care of everything else. Just That's just the way it is. You take the step of faith, and then you watch and see what I'm going to do. Man, I could just go on and on and on. Let me just tell you one more story about Jim Bob, because I just talked to Jim Bob this past week. That's not his real name, okay? I'm just saying his name was Jim Bob because I like the name Jim Bob. This is a friend of mine, preacher friend, and you might know him if I said his name. He lives in a different state, so I'm not going to say his name. I'm going to say his name is Jim Bob. Jim Bob's got a problem. It's with his son. His son's an adult man. He's grown. But a few years ago, there was a confrontation between Jim Bob and his son. They butted heads. In talking to Jim Bob, he really can't remember what it was (laughs) that they butted heads over, but they butted heads. And here's the problem. He's as bullheaded as his son, or his son's as bullheaded as he is. So I had this conflict, and, and they haven't talked in a long time. The relationship is bad. They're just they're not getting along, and it's really, it's really bothering my friend. And he's been asking other preachers what he needs to do. He's even asked me what to do. I got to think, what would you advise Jim Bob to do? Jim Bob, you need to pray about it. Brother, you just need to get down on your knees, and you need to pray about that situation. Or how about this? Jim Bob, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to join this eight-week Bible study on reconciling relationships. Or how about this? Jim Bob, why don't you take a month and just write out exactly what you need to say to your son to reconnect with him? Now, all those things, pretty good advice. Honestly, that's some good stuff right there. And Jim Bob, he needs to be doing those things. But I saw him this past week, and I asked him about the situation. I said, what, what, what's happened? Has anything changed? He said, yeah, it has, Will. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, God told me to do the one thing I didn't want to do. Ding, 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 ding. I'm thinking, man. This is... And I said, well, what was that? He said, God told me to pick up the phone and call my son. And to say to my son, son. I'm sorry. I said, well, did you do it? He said, yes, sir, I did. I said, how are things going? He said, well, they're not fixed, but at least they're a lot better. And God's working in both our hearts. You you see, it's just that next step. You just do the next thing God is telling you to do. If you want out of that impossible situation, understand... My friend, God's got a plan. He's got a plan. And His plan is good. It's for your good. God's going to take you to that one place you don't want to go. But He's going to take you there for a reason. Why? Because you need to fix some things. And then He's going to tell you, okay, take the next step. And by faith, you just take the next step. And then He says, okay, okay. Now, go here, and you go there, over here, and you go over here, and then it's over here. He's not going to lay the whole map out for you. He's just going to give you step-by-step instructions. But when you do it, and you live by faith, and you follow his plan, all of a sudden, the impossible situation has been solved. For with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Heavenly Father, help us to learn that lesson today. And for those of us who are facing impossible situations in our life, may we come to the altar today and just acknowledge that you have a plan that is good, acceptable, and perfect. Lord, help us to be willing to go to that one place we haven't wanted to go so that we can learn the very valuable lesson that you're wanting us to learn and to deal with what it is you want us to deal with. And then, dear Lord, I pray that we would just simply trust and obey and take that next step of faith. Lord, for everyone in this room, would you just speak personally to us? And I pray that we would respond to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask that you just stand with head bowed and eyes closed. And if God is speaking to you,